well, as I've already said this morning, we're thinking about uh, this feeling, this emotion, I guess, of guilt. And so I want to begin by asking whether you've ever felt guilty, ever felt guilty for doing something. I remember when I was a lot younger, I went to Woolworths. Remember Woolworths? Those are the days uh, when Woolworths was open and you could go there for one reason. One reason, and that was their pick and mix selection. It was, it was just unlike anything else. In the pick and mix, you could pay for a small, medium, or large cup. Uh, and whatever size you went for, you basically would cram as many sweets as you possibly could into the cup because you just paid for the size of the cup. And I remember going to Woolworths, and this one time I came up with what I thought was a genius plan. I took my medium cup, uh, put a few sweets inside, uh, and then, uh, this is confession time, then I took a Mars bar uh, and put that inside the cup. I, I then covered the Mars bar with sweets and went and paid for what looked like a medium cup of pick-and-mix sweets, but with my Mars bar sneakily hidden inside. For about 10 minutes, as I ate my Mars bar, I genuinely thought I was the most intelligent criminal the world had ever seen. But after those 10 minutes, once I had enjoyed what I wanted, I started to feel incredibly guilty. So guilty that I couldn't stop thinking about it. I kept thinking that that someone would find out, they would discover my crime, and that I would spend the rest of my days rotting in prison. I felt guilty for weeks. And obviously that's a a slightly silly example of a 10-ish year old me, but I'm sure you know that feeling, don't you? That horrible feeling of guilt. The feeling that you just can't shrug off, you can't stop thinking about it. It's like a a heavy weight that you carry around with you. Maybe it's a, a single incident in the past that you just can't seem to forget. Maybe it's a, a betrayal or something that you've done that you couldn't bear if people found out. It might just be a general feeling that, that you're not the person you ought to be, not the person that other people think you are. We all know the feeling of guilt, don't we? And we all try to deal with it in different ways. One person that knew that feeling very well was Peter. As we've already thought about this morning, Peter was a guy who made some really big claims, but who in the end turned out to be a really big failure. Peter let Jesus down terribly. He denied him in his hour of need. Peter was a failure, and so he knew all about feeling guilty. But wonderfully, as we're going to see this morning, Jesus is all about restoring failures. He's all about taking sinful, guilty people, people like Peter, people like us, and restoring them, forgiving them as God's children. That's what John chapter 21 that we just had read is really all about. It's a a personal, emotional account of how Jesus restores a complete failure. And we're going to focus in on that chapter. And as we do it, we're going to think about three key questions. Three questions that Jesus asks Peter on the beach that day, and three questions that he asks each of us who are feeling guilty 
this morning. And so the first question is, will you admit your failure? Will you admit your failure? In chapter 21, the risen Jesus has just appeared to his disciples. He's enjoying this fish breakfast with them on the beach. And then in verse 15, he turns and speaks directly to Peter. Look at verse 15 with me. When they'd finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus turns to Peter and addresses this painful issue of his failure. His denial of Jesus just a few days earlier. We know that's what Jesus is getting at because he asks the same question three times. Three times he says, do you love me? And it's those three questions that would have been this horribly painful reminder of how Peter had not once, not twice, but three times denied his Lord. As we saw just a few weeks ago before Easter, despite his boasts, despite his big, bold claims that he alone would stand with Jesus, even if all these other disciples fell away, the reality was that Peter failed. When the heat was turned up, Peter's words turned out to be empty. And Jesus, he brings that reality home by saying to him, do you really love me more than all of these? It's hardly surprising that we're told in verse 17 that Peter was hurt by Jesus' questions. He felt the, the pain of being confronted with his failure. The pain of having to face up to his sin. Because facing our failure is painful, isn't it? In fact, it's so painful that, that actually our, our culture would say we should avoid doing it altogether. You can find all sorts of advice on dealing with feelings of guilt. Just a quick Google search will help you with that. And whether it's going into a bookshop or online, most of the advice that I've seen this week will simply tell you, stop feeling guilty. That's the way to deal with your guilt. Just stop it. Stop feeling guilty. Life, after all, is about feeling good, isn't it? No one wants to feel bad all of the time. That can't be good for your health. So just stop feeling guilty. And everything will be much better. That's what the world might say, but it's not what Jesus says here, is it? Jesus confronts Peter with his failure. He wants him to, to see, to, to acknowledge his guilt because he knows that as painful as that might be, it is the only way for Peter to find forgiveness. It's the only way that Peter will find restoration. You see, as tempting as it might be for us, and it is tempting to, to hide or to try and deny our guilt, that isn't what Jesus calls us to do. 
He doesn't meet Peter on the beach that day and just say, look, Peter, don't worry about it, mate. It's no big deal. You, you, were, you were under a lot of pressure that night. You were probably tired, hungry, stressed. No one can blame you for doing what you did. Just forget about it. No. Jesus wants Peter and he wants each of us to be honest with ourselves and to be honest with him about our failure. He wants us to see clearly how, how serious our sin really is. It can't be swept under the carpet. It, it is a big deal. It's so big that in the end, the only way for it to be dealt with was for Jesus to go to the cross. You see, it was because of Peter's failure that Jesus had to die. It is because of our failure, our sin, that Jesus was nailed to a cross. We've just sung that. But wonderfully, rather than make us feel even more guilty, it's as we come to the cross that we find the burden, the, the weight of our guilt is removed. You see, on the cross, Jesus died in the place of guilty sinners like us. He paid the price fully of our sin, past, present, and future. And so just listen to how Peter, this same Peter, talks about Jesus' death in a letter that he writes years after this beach chat. 1 Peter 3 verse 18 says this, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous, the innocent, for the unrighteous, the guilty, to bring you to God. Jesus willingly gave his perfect life in exchange for your guilty one. He died the death we deserve to bring us to God, to restore us to him. Which means instead of running from our guilt, instead of trying to cover it up or, or deny it, we can face up to it. We can acknowledge it and we can bring it to Jesus. That is what he died for. And so he forgives us completely. So that's the first question. Will you admit, will you acknowledge your failure? The second question is, do you love Jesus? Do you love Jesus? Jesus asks Peter the same question three times to help him acknowledge his guilt. But it's not just the number of questions that is significant, is it? It's also the question itself. Do you? You love me, says Jesus. I imagine that was a pretty difficult question for Peter to answer. Again, not too long before his arrest and execution, Jesus had spent a lot of time with his disciples explaining to them what loving him really meant, what it would look like for them to love their Lord. And one of the big things Jesus said was that love is seen in action. Love is seen in, in sticking with, in following Jesus, obeying him, no matter what. And so you can imagine, can't you, as Peter thought back over those conversations and, and then thought back over the past few days, he would have wondered, what did his actions say about his love for Jesus? 
Did his failure, his denial, show that he didn't really love Jesus after all? At least not as much as he thought he did. Uh, Maybe you're feeling something similar this morning. As you think back over the past weeks and months, as you think about the ways that you've lived, the things you've done and said, maybe you wonder whether it really is possible for you to say that you truly love Jesus. But just look at how Peter answers that question. Because despite his sin, despite his failure, Peter says in verse 15, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He says it again in verse 16, and then in verse 17, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. How can Peter say that? Given all that he's done, all that's happened, how can he be so sure? Well, did you notice what he appeals to? He doesn't appeal to his track record. He doesn't say, yes, Lord, look at my behavior. Look at my commitment. Look at my quiet times. Look at my prayer life. And then you'll see how much I love you. No, Peter doesn't appeal to what he's done, but to what Jesus knows. In other words, his confidence is in the fact that Jesus knows his heart. He says to Jesus, Lord, Lord, you know my failure, you know all things. You know my weakness, you know my sin. But you also know my heart. You know what I really want. You know how much I'm grieved by my sin. How much I long to live for you. Lord, you know that I love you. Because more than anyone else, you know my heart. And what is true for Peter is true for us as well. You see, whilst the way that we live really does matter, we're going to see that in just a moment, it is crucial that we understand that loving Jesus is firstly a matter of the heart. It is primarily about having our hearts captivated by the one who first loves us. It's about loving the one who despite our mess, despite our our guilt and our sin, has given his life for us so that we can know for certain that we are loved by him. And so a crucial question for us this morning is, do you love Jesus? Because, do you see, that is what he's interested in. He's He's not looking for your intellect. He doesn't want your amazing personality or your spotless record or your Bible knowledge or your church attendance. No, the question Jesus asks is, do you love me? Do you love me? And then does your love for me show itself in love for others? Because just as Peter answers that question by saying, yes, Lord, you know that I love you, Jesus immediately shows him what that love looks like. Which brings us to the last question we need to see this morning. Will you obey Jesus? Will you obey him? You see, although we've said that that loving Jesus is primarily a matter of the heart, we also need to be careful not to separate that from our actions. Just a few chapters earlier in John chapter 14, Jesus says to his disciples, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. For Jesus, love and obedience, they go hand in hand. They can't be pulled apart. And we can see that's the case when it comes to Peter. 
Three times Jesus questions Peter. Three times Peter declares his love for Jesus. And then three times Jesus follows with a command. Verse 15, feed my lambs. Verse 16, take care of my sheep. Verse 17, feed my sheep. Now, of course, Peter is unique in many ways. He was an apostle commissioned by Jesus to lead the early church. That's what it means, or Jesus means when he says, feed my sheep. In lots of ways, we're not Peter. We're not commanded to do the same things he was. But as Jesus' followers, we are all commanded to love Jesus by loving his people. Jesus says in John chapter 13, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. You see how these things work? Loving Jesus means obeying Jesus. And obeying Jesus means loving his people, loving others as he has loved us. That's what's going on with Peter. In his amazing grace, Jesus not only forgives and restores Peter, but he also calls him to love and to serve his people, to lead them and to feed them once Jesus has gone. And that in itself should be a huge encouragement to us this morning. Whoever we are, however we have mucked up in the past, Peter's example shows us that Jesus restores and uses sinful failures like you and me. In fact, that is what he loves to do. Peter is called to love Jesus by loving and serving his people. And he's called to do that no matter what. Look at what Jesus says in verse 18. I tell you the truth, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Jesus wants to be honest. He wants to be upfront with Peter. He says, look, Peter, you need to know that, that loving me, following me, obeying me, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be hard. In fact, it's going to cost you your life. Just as my hands were stretched out on the cross, Peter, so you will end up doing the same. And again, we're, we're not Peter. Loving Jesus, following Jesus, obeying Jesus is unlikely to get us killed today. But that doesn't mean those things won't be costly. We, followed a, we follow a crucified Lord and so Jesus says, look, if you love me, if you, if you follow me, it's going to involve sacrifice. It's going to be costly. You need to come to terms with that. You need to expect that. But even Peter had to come to terms with that. Look at verse 20. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Uh, we know what that's like, don't we? Uh, to compare ourselves to others, to think we've got the rough end of the deal and to say, well, what about them? What, what about him? Uh, to think that if we just had what they have, everything would be so much easier. We probably wouldn't fail as much. 
we'd be more useful, more obedient if our life just looked a bit more like their life. They've got it easy. But again, do you see, Jesus says to Peter, no, no, don't worry about them. Stop looking to them and look to me. Verse 22, Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. You see, before Jesus' death, Peter made the mistake of thinking he was the big, brave one, better than the rest. After Jesus' death, I imagine Peter thought he was the weak, failed one, the worst of the bunch. But can you see the solution is the same either way? Peter needs to follow Jesus. And so whether you've come to church this morning feeling pretty good about yourself, that that actually you've got life sorted and there's very little for you to feel guilty about, or whether you've come this morning feeling like your life is a mess, that you've mucked up again and again and again, and you're really not even sure you belong here at all, whatever you're feeling this morning, the answer is the same. Come to Jesus. Follow Jesus. Stop looking to other Christians. Stop comparing yourself with those around you. Because as long as you do that, your, your emotions, your feelings, there'll be this constant roller coaster from pride to guilt. Pride to guilt. And it will be because you're looking in all the wrong places. Jesus doesn't say to Peter, follow John. Check John's Instagram, see how he's doing in the Christian life. Take a note out of John's book. No, Jesus says, follow me. Look to me. Love me. Because it's then and only then that you will live in the freedom of knowing your sins forgiven and your guilt taken away completely. As far as the east is from the west, the psalm said we read at the beginning. Look to me, love me, says Jesus. Because it's then and only then that you will be able to love others as I have loved you, no matter the cost. What should you do if you're feeling guilty? What do you do if, you're, if you've got that heavy burden of guilt and shame that you carry around? The answer is simple. Look to Jesus. Come to him and know that however big your failure, however badly you have mucked up, there is always hope for you in him. There is always a way back. Come to him and know that he loves to restore and even to use sinful failures like you and me for his glory. That was true for Peter and it's true for us as well. Let's pray together. Paul writes in Ephesians, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. Our loving and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you this morning for your amazing grace. Father, thank you that though we fail, though we sin, though we let you down, 
on a daily basis, Father. Thank you that your grace, your mercy is bigger. It is more. Thank you that we can come to Jesus just like Peter and be forgiven and restored and used for your glory. Father, we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.